So in this book, Cross My Desk, all 500, 500 pages of the book, Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon, I thought, gee whiz, I've got to talk to the author of this book, and that is Kate Anderson Brower. She is the author of number one New York Times bestseller, The Residents and First Women, and also uh, other books, including one which I think is a children's book about the White House, a variety of different books. So my first question, and welcome to WGN, Kate. Why Elizabeth Taylor? You're welcome. Why Elizabeth Taylor? You know, I I was thinking about a new idea back in around 2019, and um, I was always intrigued by the story of the... I I live in Washington, D.C., and so I was interested in the story of this incredibly famous actress marrying a U.S. senator. Um, Her sixth husband was Senator John Warner. And I thought maybe it could be an interesting magazine story. I was looking for something that wasn't too political but still had, um, you know, some politically relevant parts of her story. And I was looking to do like a single biography, a topic, um, a deep dive into one person's life. And so it just worked out that I got to know Senator Warner, um, he was just a lovely man, and he wanted her to be remembered. And he put me in touch with her family, who opened this treasure trove of diaries and letters that hadn't been published before that I think really show just how remarkable she was. Well, you must have had the trust of her family, because uh, as you point out in the book, there are few personalities ever uh, that have been stalked by the media as much as Elizabeth Taylor. You know, she's, of course, well-known for movies like Cleopatra, mm-hmm. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I believe she won mm-hmm. an Academy Award for, but she is just as known mm-hmm. for her many, many marriages, seven or eight, right? Or is it seven marriages, eight marriages and seven it, people, right? That's right. Yeah, she married Richard Burton twice. Um, you know, she's also very culturally relevant today. I mean, that's why I was searching for an interesting person who, uh, woman, because I, I especially like writing about women. And uh, I thought that, you know, she is somebody who made her celebrity and used the commodity of her celebrity to make real change when she took on AIDS. Um, in the mid-80s when it was very controversial at the time. She was the first major celebrity to get involved. Um, in 1984, she helped to organize this, uh, the first major fundraiser in L.A. for, in the, it was in the world ever, but it was held in L.A. for AIDS research. And it also helped the gay community tremendously. So it was about lessening the stigma attached to the disease, but also you know, trying to lessen the homophobia that she fought against her whole life. So she was an influencer in every sense of the word. And if she were alive today, she would be the number one followed person on Instagram. I am convinced of that. (laughs) All right. So uh, (laughs) since you brought up uh, her work with AIDS, and there's a lot more to talk about, you can text 312-981-7200 a call if you have questions. All right. So I have some questions. Why AIDS? Why that quote-unquote, cause? Well, so she worked with a lot of gay men, both on camera, like Montgomery Clift, who was one of her best friends who was gay, and um, they did a place in the sun together, and they were very, very close. And 
she she loved him, and if he had been straight, she said she would have wanted to marry him. Um, and you know, Rock Hudson, James Dean, um, and then a lot of people behind the scenes, Roddy McDowell, another famous actor who was gay, um, and then a lot of uh, you know makeup artists and hairdressers and assistant directors and people that were, worked in Hollywood because she was famous. By the time she was 12, she was a household name because of National Velvet. So she grew up with gay men in her life. And she was one of the least judgmental people, I think, whoever had lived. She just had no ounce of judgment. She thought people should love who they wanted to love. She, God knows, had made mistakes during her life. Um, and she was never going to kind of shame anybody. Um, and I think that she had something called rampant empathy or what Carrie Fisher, her stepdaughter called rampant empathy. And I think it was very hard for her to see other people being mistreated or stigmatized in society, whether they were gay or, you know, for whatever reason, poor, I mean, whatever, um, you know, black, she was also did some civil rights work, um, so I think that for her, it was just a natural thing to take on. You know, she couldn't stand to see people suffering and there were no treatments um, at the time. This is even before AZT. So, you know, thinking back to that time, people with AIDS, you know, um, were losing their jobs, couldn't go to the dentist. Nobody would interact with them. Ryan White famously couldn't, was denied going to school because he had AIDS. Um and he got that from a blood transfusion. And I think if we go back to those early years of the epidemic, you're reminded of how just uh, radioactive the issue was when she decided to get involved. Well, as I recall, and I believe you wrote about in the book, uh, the president at that time of the United States, who happened to be a dear friend of Elizabeth Taylor, Ronald Reagan, wouldn't even mention the word. Yeah. I mean, it took him years to mention AIDS. And, you know, the first cases were uh, being diagnosed in 81, 82, and he didn't talk about it at any length until 87 at the Potomac dinner in Washington. And he was there um, because Elizabeth pressured him to attend this dinner and pressured him to talk about AIDS. And she was the co-founder of AMFAR with Dr. Matilde Prim, this other powerhouse woman who was, um, between the two of them, they were leading the most important AIDS research and care uh, organization in the world. And so, um, but Elizabeth had gone to the Oval Office and she said that, you know, batted her eyelashes at, uh, I, you know, eyes at um, those famous eyes at Ronald Reagan and got him to finally get involved because it was such a controversial issue at the time. You know, one thing you didn't mention in the book that I was surprised about. So uh, I know this story in part because uh, Deanne Warwick was on the show, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and told the story about how she was in the studio with uh, Elton John and uh, Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder. Burt Bacharach was there producing the Mm -hmm. song, That's What Friends Are For. But uh, Burt Bacharach brought in Elizabeth Taylor, who said at the end of the recording, would be a good idea if the money went to Amphar. Dionne Warwick said mm-hmm. it was her song, said, okay, uh, they've raised millions of dollars, and the rest uh, is pretty much history. Yeah, I mean, there was so much to cover in this book because it's the biography of her entire life. Oh, yeah, um, you have 500 you know, pages. I know. It was, it, you know, it was difficult to decide what to leave out. I mean, you know, I have 
thousands of pages of notes over the course of three years. It was just painful to decide what to, to take and leave out. And that, you know, came about, I believe, that song also because of Elizabeth Newbert Baccarat, because of her friend Carol Bear Sager, who she's very close with. And I know they were very proud of that song. And obviously, it's just a famous, famous song. And I think that's one of those examples, the way that Elizabeth used her influence. I mean, every time she would go on a perfume tour, because she had white diamonds and passion, these huge perfumes, she would get the perfume company to donate to AIDS research. And she would donate. Yep, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty incredible. I smell that perfume now. I've got a perfume story to tell you, actually. She once spritzed me, and I'll explain that when we come back how Elizabeth Taylor spritzed me on WGN. We are talking with the author of Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon. And there I was back in the day, a thousand years ago, at least, Kate Anderson Brower, when I was covering entertainment for People Magazine and USA Today, and there I was at Marshall Fields in Chicago at that time, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor was there touting the perfume, White Diamonds, is that the name? Mm-hmm. I got? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and she was, t- and we didn't get one-on-one interviews with Elizabeth Taylor, so I asked a question because the media was allowed to ask five minutes worth or whatever it was of questions. I got mine in and I said, how did the scent come about or something like that? And she said, well, darling, here. And she spritzed me. She said, what do you think? It smells pretty good. Huh? <laughs> that's the only, that's all I got. That's the, but she, you know what? Beautiful, beautiful woman, but she had all sorts of health issues. And we were talking about her commitment to AIDS research. And you wrote about it was one of her many illnesses that, okay, after that, she was going to do good for others. She almost died uh, several times, but this time around as well, right? Yeah, I mean, she had um, double pneumonia. This is when she was married to Eddie Fisher. And uh, she said that she saw Mike Todd in heaven, that she did, apparently, she says, um, she was in her 20s at the time, and she did tend to, you know, she was an actress, right? So a lot of things were very dramatically recounted throughout her life. Um, But she said she saw Mike Todd in heaven, and she had been married to Mike. He was her third husband, and he died tragically in a uh, plane crash. And she saw Mike, and he said, you know, you, you have too much work to do. You have to go back. And so she committed to, when she woke up, from this coma, she committed to um, seizing life more fully, and she dumped Eddie Fisher, fell in love with Richard Burton, and then lived very passionately from that point on. But I think what, you know, there have been so many biographies of Elizabeth Taylor over the years, and I wanted to only do this if I had access to something that was unique. And to me, it's the letters, and it's the love letters between Elizabeth and Richard Burton. It's kind of this confessional way that she's a beautiful writer. And she writes to him, you know, saying in one of her letters to him, she says, all I need is your back to warm up against and your hand to hold when I'm afraid or cold inside. 
basically she's asking him to stop giving her presents. She doesn't, she doesn't need or want the expensive jewelry anymore. And that's a side of her I don't think we got to see much. Well, I'd, I'd like to, do you have an hour and a half? Go through her husband's. Uh, let's go start at number one. Who is that? So that was Nikki Hilton. Yes, I practically needed a spreadsheet to keep track of the husbands <laughs> in the family. Um, and I do list them at the beginning of the book because it is complicated. She was only married to Nikki Hilton for less than a year, and he was abusive physically towards her. Um, and her, she just goes from one man to another. You know, it's 50 to 51 is Nikki Hilton. 52 to 57 is Michael Wilding. Um, who was a British actor, and then she married Mike Todd, who was the super producer at the time. All right, I want, to slow, I want, I want to slow you down a little bit. Uh, who okay. was Mike Todd? You said he was a producer at the time. Was that a special relationship? Oh, very passionate. I mean, he did Around the World in 80 Days. You know, he won an Oscar for that film. So he was somebody who was a, almost as powerful as she was in Hollywood. And um, they were very passionately in love with one another, but they were only married for 13 months before he died in the plane crash. They shared a daughter together, Liza. Um, And so, you know, people will say that Mike Todd was the great love of her life and not Richard Burton, although, you know, they were violent. And I think there's a strain of violence throughout a lot of Elizabeth's relationships where he hit her, she hit him. So I'm not sure where that violence would have, would have led them eventually. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, lots of abusive relationships, which impacted yeah. her in several ways later, which you write about. All right, we're number four, I think, is where we're at. <laughs> yes, number four, that's good counting. Um, Eddie Fisher, and so he's the husband who she was said to have stolen from Debbie Reynolds. Um, and I love that she and Debbie stayed friends the rest of their lives, and then they both couldn't stand Eddie Fisher in the <laughs> end, and they called him Edna. Um, now, Ed, Elizabeth Ed, always Ed, referred to him as Edna. Ed, Eddie Fisher, for those who don't know, was a very popular singer back in the day. Of course, Debbie Reynolds, an actress. Did you have an opportunity? I thought I saw this, and I'll be embarrassed if I to speak with Debbie Reynolds' daughter, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> No, she has passed away. She had passed at that point. Okay. Mm-hmm, uh, unfortunately, right. yeah. So we're at number five? We're at five, and this is five and six. This is Richard Burton. So she was married to. So Richard Burton, a great stage actor, um, you know, famous for the Hamlet and, and Shakespearean roles. Um, and then he was a heavy drinking Welsh, very handsome, you know, he had these piercing green eyes and this pockmarked face, actually, that Elizabeth loved from bouts of acne growing up in Wales. And he had a hard scrabble life. His father was a heavy drinker. He was one of several children, grew up poor in a coal mining town. And there was something about that kind of ruggedly handsome, brash, you know, uh, intellectuals that Elizabeth was really drawn to. And they were married for a decade and they divorced and then got married again a year later. And in the book, I go through in detail about what brought them back together again. And this kind of magnetism, this push and pull that they had for each other. um, It's just really fascinating. And so their relationship is just so passionate. So I, I think he was, 
the great love of her life, and I think most people agree with that. And it continued. So once they divorced the second time and remarried, their friendship continued, and it seemed as though whenever, uh, as you write about, whenever Elizabeth had an issue, uh, she called on Richard Burton. Burton was quoted, you said, to say uh, their love was a tolerable agony. Uh, what What do you think he meant by that? You know, they both were drinking a lot, and a lot of the letters I went through were Richard apologizing for whatever fight they had gotten into the night before. Um, I mean, they loved each other deeply and were so attracted to one another, and Elizabeth wrote about getting a shiver up her spine when she would just see him walk into a room, even after being married for years, which is incredible. Um, But... They they also fought really aggressively. I think that Richard was jealous of her professional accomplishments. Um, she won an Oscar for Virginia Woolf, this amazing film that she was in. If you, if people in the audience haven't seen it, I think it's her greatest film. It's an incredible performance. And she won the Oscar, and he didn't. So I think that there were things like that that were hard for him to get over and caused a lot of tension between them. So after being married to many alcoholics... She was married then to a politician, if I'm at the right number, which I may or may not be here. (laughs) You are. Yes. Um, Lucky number six or seven, you could say. He, John Warner, um, he was a Republican senator from Virginia, very dapper, uh, conservative, old school politician, very handsome. really different life for her. He had a farm on the outskirts of Washington and um, Elizabeth fell in love with the idea of being a farmer's wife. Now this farm is gorgeous. So it's not, it's not your typical farm. He had a whole bunch of horses and lots of acreage and it was a huge farmhouse mansion really. But I think it reminded her of her happiest years as a young girl growing up in England. And I think she saw marriage as a, she wanted somebody to help her with the business of being Elizabeth Taylor, too. I think she wanted to escape her life, and then she wanted someone who could support her and help her. And it turned out that John Warner uh, didn't see marriage quite that way, and he left her alone a lot. He didn't, you know, bring her into political decisions. He wanted her to be a traditional senator's wife. And, you know, you can't really imagine Elizabeth Taylor uh, sitting quietly on a farm for the rest of her life. So she gained, <laughs> no. <laughs> gained a lot of weight. She was not, not happy. All right. So that, if that was unlikely, her final marriage was even more unlikely, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Larry Fortensky is probably the strangest, absolutely the strangest of her husbands. Uh, they met at Betty Ford. They were both um, alcoholics. You know, they were leaning on each other. She thought he was just sexy and like, you know, she was attracted to him. He was a construction worker. He didn't grow up with any money. In fact, when they got married, it was the first time he had ever been on a plane was after their marriage. And he was, you know, 40. So he wasn't somebody who grew up in with the lifestyle to kind of, um, it didn't feel to Elizabeth like he was using her. I think that that's really interesting. That they were so different that she didn't feel like there was any social climbing involved, and I don't think there really was. But he ended up turning to, you know, he he was never able to really beat his addiction, and and that, and they 
they were driven apart because they were just so fundamentally different anyway. And we're leaving so much out, including her relationship with Michael Jackson. And I'll tell you, this Mm -hmm. book, as you point out, I mean, you're a journalist and you document everything. And I don't know how you were able to talk to the sources you did. And you have letters that Elizabeth wrote herself or others, in some cases, wrote to her. The name of the book, Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon, Kate Anderson Brower. What a pleasure to meet you, and thank you very much for joining us on WGN. Well, thank you. I loved your your personal story there. That anecdote was great. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, she spritzed (laughs) me. Thank you very much. (laughs)